From deep in the heart of Texas, it's time to chain fire some freedom with another episode of the Clover Tack Podcast. Listen in as we have a conversation with people from the firearm industry and community. Are you ready for the show? We are too. Let's go. What's up, crew? It is October 18th, 2023. Welcome to another Clover Tack Podcast powered by our friends at Mostrum Tactical. A little bit uh, about them here in uh, in just a minute. We've got Matt with uh, Lone Wolf Arms waiting patiently in the green room back here. Going to get him uh, going to get him in soon, have a conversation about LWA and all the cool things going on there, of course. Uh, big shout out and thanks, obviously, to the uh, Patreon patrons, the YouTube channel members. Interested in joining either of those clue, uh, clues, either of those crews, then there is a link as always down in the description below. Speaking of things that are down below, there are comment sections. If you're out there and you're not able, uh, of course, to join us live and ask those questions and participate in the conversation uh, live, then check out the comment sections down below wherever you might be. Uh, if you are live and you have questions for our guests, throw them out there. Uh, keep in mind, uh, you will need to be patient, most likely. We're not going to derail a uh, a conversation to throw in an unrelated question or anything like that, but we will get to those questions. Um, also, uh, proud to always say we are a member of the Firearms Radio Network, so go check out firearmsradio.net, and uh, you'll find all kinds of cool podcasts and various other things over there. Uh, what else do we got before we go? Oh, we got to talk about Mostrum. So, yeah, going to be spending some time actually this afternoon with uh, a couple of Mostrum LPVOs that uh, are on a couple of rifles. I got to do some stuff with this afternoon. So that's going to be really fun. Uh, if you're looking for things like uh, LPVOs, the Banshee series from Mostrum, definitely solid. They've got the Spectre series. If you want to step it up a notch, uh, they've got the Prism sights. They've got the Red Dots. Uh, they've got the scope rings. They've got the mounts, uh, all uh, very well designed, uh, solid for the money for sure. And I uh, think that, uh, yeah, you give them a shot, you might be pleasantly surprised at uh, what you find over there at Mostrum Tactical. So with that, uh, let's get Matt in the house with us. How are you, buddy? Hey, Chris. How's it going? Pretty good. Hey, doing well. Uh, going to uh, give you the floor here. For a couple of minutes, uh, okay. or for those that may not be familiar with LWA, um, just give us a quick kind of overview about, uh, you know, who is LWA, where you guys at, what do you do, uh, and then if you want to get into a little bit of your role with the company, uh, that would be cool too. Absolutely. Okay. Well, thank you, and thank you for having me on. So, uh, Lone Wolf Arms, uh, formerly known as Lone Wolf Distributors, was founded in 1998 out of Priest River, Idaho. The original owner um, found a, let's say a hole in the market around that time uh, doing IDPA and IPSEC and uh, found that uh, people didn't really have a good spot to come to find product. So he found an opportunity to basically make a distributorship out of Priest River, Idaho, where he would uh, you know, source uh, parts and whatever he needed for originally the Glock firearm and then actually ran his business out of a spare bedroom in his house. And then many, many years later, of course, it, it has evolved into what it is now, which is now um, formerly known or formerly known as Lone Wolf Distributors, now Lone Wolf Arms. Wow. And uh, 
I mean, how many times do you hear that story about, you know, a company starting out of a bedroom or a garage? Yeah. Or, Every or company is always started out of something, something yeah. like that. And, and it's grown into, I mean, we have grown into just this massive, uh, massive business now. And, and as you uh, know, the, one of the topics conversation today, of course, the uh, Dust 19, which is our first uh, tip to tail uh, complete pistol. Right. Right. Uh, now, the first, some of the first things that uh, that were made back then, some of the pro first products. Do you know what those were? Yeah. So Lone Wolf originally started with barrels. Um, anybody who knows Lone Wolf knows about our barrels. Um, we have had the some of the absolute best barrels in the market for years, and we are still holding that flag. Um, as far as machine accuracy, uh, grouping, I mean, we. Anybody who, from the past, of course, um, uh -huh. if, if you have a normal product, you have a normal barrel. And then we we transferred into parts and accessories. So uh, for for Lone Wolf manufactured components, we'd be talking about like uh, uh, trigger bars, uh, locking blocks, uh, uh, guide rings, our stainless steel guide ring. Uh, we were the first to actually do uh, billet ejectors uh, and or uh, extractors, <clears throat> excuse me. And then, of course, moving on to our custom slides that we're very well known for. And then in uh, 2010, we released the Legacy Timberwolf Low Receiver, uh, mm -hmm. is right. the industry first for the 19 degree grip angle, and then did a refresh in 2019 with the with the version two uh, Timberwolf Low Receiver. Okay, gotcha. Now, as far as uh, as far as current you know current SKUs, any idea? You know exactly how vast the product line with LWA is at this point. As far as current SKUs, I'm going to be honest. I'm just engineering. <laughs> um, it's how many actual SKUs we have on hand. Um, I know that we have. We are. We are in the the thousands. Right. Oh yeah. 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 Our okay. inventory management and our inventory team is absolutely fantastic. If you actually saw our our facility. It would be on par with any major distribution network. Uh, right. It, it is. It, it's a sight to behold. Um, as far as the exact number of SKUs, I'm. I'm not entirely sure, but uh, a yes. whole bunch. Yeah. 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 Not your. Not your job description. We. We understand that. Not a problem. Um, yeah. I mean, being from the. I guess from uh, the engineering side of things. Now the mm -hmm. the product line. Um, does it still? primarily revolve around the the glock platform or has it diversified we, much from there over the years we have we have diversified and as of recently massively diversified into the uh, sig market right so and now uh if you, you've probably seen on our website we are now uh we broke into the 365 market and then uh coming out with also some uh, 320 components so what we have currently are 365 slides and barrels and then we're going to have a full parts kit available soon for the 320 and then 320 slides and barrels. Okay. So that's going to be your trigger, uh, takedown, lever, and then the magazine release button right. for the 320. And then we're going to then we're going to go back to the 365 and do the same for uh, for that product line as well. Um, right. And then we've also had in the past uh, some MP barrels. And then uh, so I think we had a couple browning, but. I don't think that product line is still active. Okay. Now the, um, and I'm starting some of the, uh, the questions and stuff out there for you guys in the uh, live chat. So definitely throw them out there. Uh, I'll start. We will, uh, we'll definitely get to them. 
uh, here shortly. Um, when you're working with, uh, you know, OEM, uh, you know, I guess whatever, uh, you know, platforms like you guys are, mm-hmm. uh, what are some of the challenges and hurdles for, you know, hey, we're going to go into the aftermarket, you know, sector with the Glock platform or the SIG platforms. Are there specific challenges that, you know, no matter what, I guess, manufacturer or brand that is that you guys face? I'm going to be quite frank with you. The, the, this market is, it's ever changing and extremely volatile. Okay. As soon as you have something dialed in, the, the <laughs> consumer base is onto something else. Like, oh, you know, um, you know, a few years back, it was like, oh, you know, uh, uh, model 17s, this is the new hot thing. And then, you know, we right. have your that all dialed in. And they're like, oh, model 19s, that's the new hot thing. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, uh, for example, then it's funny that you mentioned that um, uh, we were at the uh, NRA show this last year and we mm-hmm. got everything dialed in for the 365s because the 365s is a hot new ticket. And everybody coming in is like, oh, you got any stuff for the 320s? And like, guys, you wanted the 365 stuff. So, you know, I mean, um, the, the I guess to, to circle back to your original question is um, is is keeping up with market demand right. um, and then making sure that our product is rock solid. Um, reverse engineering. Um, is, is the, the keys around that are making sure that it is safe, effective, it's reliable, and it is cross compatible with the original components. Right. We don't want to make something that's proprietary. So that's the very last thing we want to do is have something come out where it's like, oh, this product is only going to work in our stuff and only this guy's holster. Right. That's a, and I'm sure yeah. you know there's many products out there where it is very proprietary components where you have to have like a custom holster made or you have to have custom parts made because their stuff does not work with uh, the industry standard components. Right. And and you just had a, a pretty good nugget of, uh, uh, I guess, insider or information there that a lot of folks out there uh, listen, I think, needs to keep in mind. Uh, you know, I hear it all the time as well. Why does this company not make this? Why does this company not make this? Why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? And it, it takes a lot of time and effort and R&D, as you, as you said, in, in getting those things right, first of all, and getting them in the market. But it seems like the attention spans of most of the people that want, say they want those things, one of two things. Either they're not going to end up being a customer anyway. They just want to want. Um, or by the time that you say, okay, that's cool. We can do that. Let's let's work on that. And then by the time you get it to market, they've moved on to something else because their attention span is so, so small. So if you're out there and you're wondering, you know, why companies seem to blow you off or dismiss you a little bit when you make suggestions like that, what Matt here is saying is, is the thing. Like, you guys have got to be a little more adamant about, you know, if you're making suggestions to these companies, following through, buying those products, using those products, promoting those products, making sure that these companies get a return on that investment. Right, Matt, for the time. And you actually and- just hit the nail on the head. And that was the, the last thing I wanted to mention was um, it's the ROI. Yeah. When we come out with, I can't disclose whole numbers, but I can tell you you're in the hundreds of thousands if not millions of dollars sometimes with these with these uh, projects and the roi is substantial and we can't just release a product to market and be like okay we're done with that one what's the next one and just start investing money into a whole new project we have to work on an roi now we do work on projects concurrently but we have to look at the long game you right. know you know how is this going to how are we going to be able to substantiate this and then have this product uh, uh be uh substantial for the business for the next uh you know, 10, 15, 20 years, um, you know, at least looking at a five-year ROI and then uh, start making some money after that. So, right. uh, 
that, that's super critical. So, you know, when we came out with the, well, when we came out, I should say, when we pitched the, the Dusk 19, formerly known um, different code words that we had for it, but uh, we actually pitched it in 2021 at a, uh, at a uh, corporate event in uh, Coraline, Idaho. And I had it in a suitcase and we went to a board meeting and I presented it to the team and I said, okay, I think this is the next big thing. And it was, it was quite receptive. And then, but of course at that time, I mean, it's, it's all smoke and mirrors, right? Because, you know, this is, this is strictly a prototype. This is a concept. This is something that, you know, it looks cool, but we really have to dive into the, you know, the viability of this project. So, you know, after that, it takes another, you know, six months of, of development just into trying to get the final aesthetics right, trying to figure out, you know, having the marketing team go out and do what they do and do some market research to see, you know, how viable is this project, but then having the finance people figure out, okay, you know, they have to stack everything up and say, okay, what is this actually going to cost us at the end of the day to, uh, to get this pulled together? So, right. you know, we're, we're a year in before we even start cutting, cutting chips on tools. Right. And that's a whole other another, ball of wax because once oh, you yeah. once you nail down all of that, then you, if you're not making those those parts or those whatever you're making, uh, if you're not doing that as economical and more importantly, I think efficiently as possible with the machining, the tooling, and the other stuff, then you know you're going to run into problems later on there because of overhead and and a lot of other different things. So. And finding manufacturers that can True. carry this through all the way, and then they can actually have the uh, the horsepower and the bandwidth to be able to handle the volume that we're looking for. Because you know anybody can make one or two things. You know we need thousands of things. Right. So <laughs> I mean, it, and that really what it comes down to. So uh, it's a, there is you know you know what they say uh, about painting. It's ninety percent prep, ten percent application. Right. Yeah. It's the same thing. Yeah. It, same it, it, thing. There's a lot. Yeah. There's a lot to be said. I mean, it's not apples to apples, but a lot of it is preparation and logistics and then actually cutting down to to getting the project going um is placing the po's so yeah yeah now you mentioned the dusk uh, a, a second ago uh as an engineer is that your baby or did you come along after that was already a concept or how did that kind of pan no, out as far as your I role am, in that i am uh, happy to say that that is 100 my percent my baby Nice. Now, Very nice. as of recently, um, I am on uh, different projects. So we've had uh, some other great engineers uh, on our team that are uh, taking care of sustainability mm -hmm. of the project, making sure that they can, um, you know, working out like, you know, little tweaks here and there, um, uh, uh, making sure that uh, the, the, the train is on time, so to speak. Right. Yeah. But um, uh, yeah, uh, it, it, it is nice to say that uh, I can hang my head on saying this is this is my baby. Um, like I said, I pitched it back in 2021 and put a lot of uh, sweat and tears in this one. This is right. uh, this one's pretty cool. Well, that's good. That means you can uh, you can answer some follow ups on that. So my first is going to be I can I can um, answer almost every question about it. My, my first is going to be why? Why, why? Why the dusk? Why? You know, why? How did that concept pop in your head? Why did you think that would be worthwhile and a viable thing to, to pursue? That's a great question. So prior to that, 2020 rolled around and, you know, of course we had the whole pandemic thing mm -hmm. and sales were just, everything was so cyclical at that time. And you're like, okay, I think we need a new product line to take Lone Wolf that next step. 
And as soon as we're out of this craziness, we, we need to we need to figure out what's that next thing that Mobile is going to do. And of course, we're already you know we're already Glock freaks over here. So you know basically with the Glock platform. So mm-hmm. like okay, we're gonna we're gonna focus on what one what we already know, because we're not gonna we're not gonna start a new project with a platform that we're unfamiliar with because now you just added a whole bunch more lead time to uh, something that. Uh, that uh, frankly, somebody, uh, some other manufacturer might be more well suited to. Not saying that we couldn't do it, but we wanted to make sure that you know we stuck to our timeline. Like this is when we're going to have this new product out. Right. So start. It started with okay, we, we want something new, but what is it going to be? Okay. Our user base. Well, our user base. Um, we we want to cultivate a younger generation of users. So we want something a little edgier. We want something you know that is. Um, so to speak, uh, you know, looks looks like something a uh, younger generation uh, 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 a consumer would purchase. And then we also wanted to have all the features, all the issues, all the the constant uh, recommendations pulled out or pushed into this new platform. For example. Um, for years, uh, people have complained about the the profile of the trigger guard. They've complained about, well, you know, you shoot it forever, and then you know your middle finger just gets rubbed rock, lock knuckle. You know, everybody talks mm-hmm. about that. Right. We've had issues with the profile of the grip, where you know people are complaining, oh, hey, you know, I got big hands. It doesn't fit my hands very well. We need to we need to do something about that. So, okay, how are we going to be able to have something uh, 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 sustainable, and how are we going to have something that most, I should not not all, because some people have some really big hands and a compact pistol might not be for them. But right. we wanted to come up with something that most users can manipulate safely and accurately, that they won't fatigue. It has multiple grip points and it has a bunch of features that the industry would typically pay above and beyond for, for example, like stippling. Mm-hmm. You buy a lower receipt or you buy any brand new pistol. And if you have a, you know, a couple extra hundred bucks, you're gonna send it out and you're gonna have it stippled. And they're gonna, you know, they're gonna go to work with it with a hot iron. And then you might go get it seracoded and they're gonna send it back and like, wow, look at this. It's you know, it, it's totally custom, it's your deal. Right. Well, Lone Wolf in the past and still is a custom manufacturer. You know, we are a distributorship. We do make uh OEM replacement parts, but we also we also hang our hat on custom ability and custom components. So right. that was that was a major caveat to this to this whole thing, was making sure that when you open that box, you'd like, wow, this is actually like it looks like a handmade pistol. Right. So that so when it came down to the the facets, the little minute details, the custom stipple texture that you see, uh, and I'm sure you you've held this a few times and you've seen that, that oh, yeah. stipple job on there. That is out of the out of the injection molding tool, exactly like that. We do not handwork that wow. or handwork these uh, these parts after wow. they come back to us. Yeah. So I mean, just the tool work alone took. In, absorbent amount of time yeah a lot of folks don't realize that yeah yeah it's um it's it is daunting the the amount of work that goes into one of these tools to to make it look like the way it does when it comes out and then you know even down to the the placement of the g mount rail and the 1913 rail just making sure that they're in the exact right locations so that it is all accessories compatible making sure that the inscribed circle within the trigger guard, even though it looks super edgy and unique, it will fit in almost every holster, making sure that the profile doesn't, you know, supersede 
um, the profile of a factory pistol and making sure that, you know, it, it feels comfortable if you're going to appendix carry, you know, making sure that the that uh, the, the, the flared magwell and the integrated toe kick is actually working. So it's not just a it's not just like a, a selling point, mm-hmm. but we've substantiated, you know, we we've, you know, hired um, a, a production company to come out with a phantom camera, you know, shooting at 8000 frames per second to, you know, substantiate everything that we're selling. So when people come to us and say, hey, you know, do these features actually do something? Do they work? Yes. Yes. I can say that, you know, the the muscle control facets on, you know, forward of the of takedown lever um, actually helps with belt recoil. Right. Yeah. hundred percent. They, you, uh, you mentioned the tooling again uh, a second ago. And so like with the, with the mold or, or whatever, uh, you know, a lot of people don't realize they think it's one and done. I, I still get people that talk about how Taurus bought the Beretta factory 40 years ago or whatever it was yep. now. And they think that for some reason, that's all of that machinery hasn't been upgraded and changed by now, which is asinine to even consider that right uh yeah. those tools those that tooling wears out so um yes it does as far as the tooling and stuff any rough estimate on and i know it kind of depends on the part or whatever but any rough estimate of you know what type of production runs or other things how often that stuff kind of needs to be changed out retooled um it, so it really depends on how many shots so every time it has a shot it mm-hmm. it's pushing um you know, we're talking thousands of PSI of molten plastic into these tools, mm-hmm. um, depending on how many shots, depending on who manufactured the tool, of course, because, you know, if you have a good manufacturer, the tools can last longer, yeah. but a good tool can, can go um, thousands of shots, shot, okay. thousands and thousands of shots. Now there is um, uh, like rapid tools where they'll, uh, they'll, you know, make something real quick and dirty for you. If you need a quick and dirty injection molten part and they, they will legitimately last maybe a hundred or so parts. Oh, wow. But a tool like this, a tool like we're talking about right now, um, it's it's eight months to a year to have a tool like this made and flushed wow. out. Wow. And, and it's not even just that. It is the like it's the uh, modular backstraps. So every pistol that you get comes with two backstraps, depending on user preference. Uh-huh. One of them is going to be flat. One of them is going to be a little bit swelled. So it depends on, you know, how you like to like to hold it and if you like to actually extend the profile right. a little bit. It cut, you know, the, um, our patented gen three, gen four dust cover. I mean, um, that right there took a a crazy amount of time to figure out how we're going to actually retain, figure out the retention system, how people are actually going to easily remove it with, you know, regular household tools, Uh how we're going to actually figure out to to keep the, the, um, uh, guide ring from dropping and not hanging up when you try to, you know, pull the slide off. I mean, there's, there's a lot that goes into this. I mean, even, I mean, actually, a little Easter egg, and I don't know if people know this, for those who are listening, in the back of the backstrap, if you have a Dust 19 or even um, uh, any of those backstraps, whether it's the flat one or the rounded one, if you flip it over, you're going to see a little coin-sized hole in the back. That is actually for a spare battery for your reflex site. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So I wonder, if you wonder want how many to, people had no clue about that. <laughs> yep, yep. So, yep. If uh, you you want to keep a spare battery in there for your reflex site, you put it right back in that little cavity back there. Right. Oh wow, that's yeah. pretty neat. Yeah, it's pretty neat. Yeah. Um, now you you know you you spoke to you know the dusk and you you talked about how that uh, you'll already be in the lock aftermarket and stuff like that. I mean, a lot of that made sense. 
was that sort of the push uh, moving into more recently into the SIG stuff since SIG is so modular? Well, uh, the SIG brand has been growing dramatically. Um, people are you know, clamoring for the SIG stuff, and it only made sense for us to diversify into the SIG market. Um, we, the, the next steps for us is to get into Gen 5 uh, components for the Glock. So it's going to be Gen sure. 5 aftermarket parts. And then hopefully soon, and I can't put a, can't hang my hat on this, we will have a Gen 5 lower receiver for the desk. Oh, but wow. Okay. It's, it's going to be down the road a little bit because there's a lot of rever uh, reverse engineering and R&D work that's going to go into this because um, uh, we don't have a whole lot of Gen 5 stuff. And, um, well, I, I should say um, uh, TDP or for people in the industry, uh, uh, tech uh, data packages. That are you know flushed out and ready to go um right. so to get that pulled together it's gonna be a lot of work um but that is we we figured that with where everything's going right now let's focus on the six stuff and help uh bolster uh uh, uh revenue while working on um, other projects like gen 5 stuff yeah. right right um now other than uh, you know other than the dusk other than the you know the uh the six stuff We've got, you know, all the accessories, the barrels, the internals. Uh, is there anything we're missing here that, you know, folks out there that, you know, I know with me, uh, the barrels is definitely where it started with uh, Lone Wolf being on my on my radar. I've got Lone Wolf barrels and a couple of different handguns. Um, is there anything we're missing that you guys are doing that most people, yeah. when they think Lone Wolf, they don't think about that particular aspect of things? So there is something that I definitely want to, I want to hit real quick. Um is our custom configurator. I don't know if anybody's familiar with that as far as our custom slide options. Mm -hmm. People that are in the industry will understand this. For those of you that are not in the industry, I'm gonna, I'm gonna explain it uh, the best way I can. When you order a custom slide, for a manufacturer to do what our configurator does is almost impossible. We have a very unique um, uh, operation set up where we have uh, custom proprietary work holding that works in our uh, in our milling centers and custom software that we wrote in-house that is able to piece and parse every single custom feature that you put on your slide and wow. then be able to send that data down to the manufacturing shop and then I'm, I can't I can't go into the details of it of course um, but um, we have figured out a way we've we've con we've constructed a way to be able to have a sort of speak a la carte manufacturing setup for every single option available and the last time i checked we had 145 options and wow. any one of those options can be applied within the scope of your uh blank slide converted into your custom slide mm -hmm. which right. most uh, most companies would not be able to do like for example let's say you have a widget a and you want one of widget a and you're going to call your manufacturer and say, hey, guys, I want only one of these things. Well, they're going to say, well, we have a minimum order quantity of 100 or, you know, 200. We can't make one. I was like, OK, well, I only need one. OK, well, that one's going to be 500 bucks. Well, right. that's that's not going to work. It's not going to work for us. It's not going to work for the consumer. And right. that is a real world scenario that we ran up against where mm -hmm. we had all these custom slide options. We had all these custom features. And we reached out to our manufacturer and say, hey, we need, like, you know, uh, four of these, 50 of these, and 10 of these. And I'm like, okay, that, that's not going to work. You're going to need 100, 100, and 100. 
Wow. Okay, we don't we don't need 300 of those. We need literally, you know, five, 10 and, and, and 20. So um, we uh, like I said, we, we figured out a pretty cool way to do this. And I think that really uh, set a high bar for uh, for the industry and, and, and for the uh, custom for the custom slide features that we do. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Minimums are definitely the, the norm ex rather than the exception. Right. In the industry. Yes. Yes. Um, and it's it's really economies of I guess of scale or whatever, and a lot of folks yeah. out there they don't they don't realize that, especially when you get into the really custom stuff. There's a reason it's expensive. Um, so it's yeah. really neat that you guys have that bridged that gap. You've had a way around that. That's kind of cool. And I'm I'm guessing that's you talked about the proprietary software you guys developed and stuff. I'm mm -hmm. guessing technology has allowed you to do that. I mean, years ago you wouldn't have been able to do that, correct? Oh, uh, yep. Uh, you're, you're absolutely right. Um, one, um, we're surrounded without giving away what? secrets, of course. No, 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 no. I'm not going to yeah. give away any secrets. I can <laughs> tell you that we have, we have surrounded ourselves with some pretty bright people. We yeah. are, I'm, I am, I am personally working with some of the brightest people I've ever had the pleasure of working with. Um, and then having those people source the right software to be able to supplement that workload. Mm -hmm. So, right. Yeah. Um, you'll move into the, the people. The, Right. Moving into the technology a bit, since we're talking about that, like 3D printing is just the thing. Um, and you, you talked about the, you know, the unfinished lowers and, and things uh, in the past that you guys have done. Um, man, it's, that's come a long way, whether you're talking about the filament or, you know, metallic you know, polymers or metallic printing now mm -hmm. and, and everything else. Um, in your production processes or especially, I guess, in R&D, how much of a role does 3D printing play, or do you rely most mostly on injection molding and, and things like that? What I can tell you is that in the past, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back to 2010 when we mm -hmm. did the, the first low receiver. In 2010, 3D printing technology for uh, the consumer level. I mean, of course, 3D printing has been around for a very long time. It's all about accessibility, right? Right. Yeah. In 2010, um, and you know, being in the industry that we're in, um, there was not a lot of accessibility because major manufacturers of these printing machines don't want to print low receivers. Right. Yeah. They just didn't want to do it. Yeah. And the access to that was very difficult. So when we actually did a, a new project like that, it was incredibly difficult and we were constantly reworking the tool because we were not able to actually get our hands on a working, you know, form fit function type of a type of product. Right. When we went to do the desk here a couple of years ago, now we three D printed almost every component to wow. be able to substantiate the design, yeah. and that helped us immensely. Uh, so yes, what I can tell you is uh, cool. we do use a lot of three D printing. We contract with um, some fantastic three D printers in uh, you know in the Northwest. Mm -hmm. um, because you know, buying that type of equipment, I mean, it, it that that stuff, it it as far as technology is concerned, it phases out so quickly. It's kind of like when you build a computer, you're gonna have to build another one next year and another one next year. So oh yeah, yeah, yeah. we're not, not gonna buy the asset. We're gonna we're yeah. gonna we're gonna contract that out. So right, um, yeah. As far as you know, that type of technology is concerned, um, right? But yeah, I mean, it's been absolutely invaluable. Now, you know, on a personal level, you being an engineer, do you own a 3D printer? I do. Okay. I do own a 3D printer. Um, I'm going to tell you what, it's um, it's not great, but uh, it, it, it's more or less 
Hey man, it, it's for hobbies and for tinkering, but uh, and, sure, and yeah. these days I, I don't do, I don't do a whole lot of, uh, of my own personal projects. I've been, you know, really right. in it on, uh, on the, uh, on the lone wolf side, but right. um, yeah, no, yeah. I, I absolutely love it. I mean, I actually printed myself out a, uh, a, uh, a pencil, little, little pencil holder. So, oh, sure. Yeah. 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 You know, it's mean, little, little tinkery stuff. Yeah. I, you know, I think people that like to tinker, people that are handy, and you know, I, I think engineers definitely have that that mindset, right? Like, I think that the three D printer is epic, you know. Uh, because yeah, it's, just, no, it's. I need a little part, or I need a, a solution to this little problem, you know. Uh, and well, you can jump jump in there and, and knock something out real quick, and it may be a temporary solution, but a solution nonetheless. Well, as you know, um, uh, our sister company, Primary Weapon Systems, um, actually 3D prints their baffles in-house. Ah, that's of, a big deal nowadays, yeah. Out of 6AL4V titanium. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, and that's crazy uh, to think they're printing titanium. It The geometry, to and for those of you that were that attended uh, SHOT or NRA show and you were actually at our booth and you saw the the cross-section view of our suppressor um the geometry is literally impossible to manufacture with 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 um reductive manufacturing methods or or let's say cnc machining it has to be additive it it is absolutely impossible to print geometry this unique and we have uh some of the very best guys in the industry uh working on our suppressor projects so and then, and then the three D printing machine that we have to actually, uh, uh, I could say, uh, build uh, those uh, those components is bar none the most insane thing you've ever seen. Right. I can hardly understand it, but we have a guy that's uh, working downstairs that knows it like the back of sand. Right, right. Uh, and that may answer my next question. But in relation to PWS, is there any crossover with what you do uh, on their side of things? Yeah. So what I can tell you is, um, as far as product line, no, as far as like manpower or horsepower shared resources, absolutely. Um, there's been a, uh, it's been fantastic being able to have uh, shared resources as far as engineering power and manufacturing power as a shared resource going, you know, with Lone sure. Wolf needs help, you know, they'll step in or if they need help, we'll step in. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. Two heads are better than one. Five heads are better than three type mentality. Yeah, absolutely. No, I'm, I'm actually uh, in Boise right now um, at their facility for that exact reason. You know, they need some help with something. So I come down there, they, they help out. And then one of their guys will come up and help us out if we need help. Uh, right. So having that horsepower has been absolutely invaluable. Right. Uh, let's jump gears. I know that uh, I know we got to get out here a little bit early on this one. Matt's got uh, some things to catch. But uh, let's catch a couple of questions. I got a couple start out there here, uh, starting with uh, Link. Says, uh, "Howdy, everyone." He said, "How does Lone Wolf's trigger compare to the newer Timney Glock trigger?" And I have no experience with that, so I certainly can't uh, can't say. But uh, what do you think? Absolutely. <laughs> well, all I can tell you is that mechanically they function completely differently. So Timney now, and I want to I want to make sure that you know there's a caveat to this. If he's talking about that 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 new trigger that Timmy came out with, with the, the searing system mm-hmm. inside of the trigger housing, um, it works completely different. So what it's going to do is the the system that Timmy came out with is going to convert the the striker fire nature of a Glock into how a um, 
let's say oh, wow. like SIG would would function. Yeah. So, and I know I can't I can't I can't show any any guns on the stream, so yeah. I'm not I'm not going to. <laughs> but if we're if we're, even though I got it I got it right here and I really want to just Thanks. put it right there and yeah. show you, hey, this is how it works. Got to okay. use your words, so, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. So um, if we can imagine, let's let's take this this pistol and cut it in half right now. And anybody who's seen the inside of a Glock knows that you're going to have your striker and you're going to have your little, little striker leg that hangs down. Mm -hmm. Well, the trigger bar inside of a Glock will actually it doesn't actually hold the the trigger or I should say the striker in the rearward position when it is chambered. So what's going to do is it's going to chamber around and the striker will actually be in the seated position and slightly offset from the primer behind the breech face. Mm -hmm. That's their drop safe where you have your three points. Ah, safety, okay. Yeah. Which right. is your trigger safety. It's going to be your drop safety, which is actually a mechanism inside of the trigger housing. It's mm -hmm. going to be your safety plunger. And all that works in conjunction with the fact that the striker is never in the rearward position. Unlike a SIG or any other uh, uh, SEER-fired uh, 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 FCUs, um, that's always going to be in the rearward and ready position. So what's going to happen is if you drop one of those guns, and I'm sure you guys have heard about where a SIG had a, a couple issues a few years yeah. back where uh, the 320s were just going off. <laughs> right. um, that can't happen within, with it providing that the that the Glock FCU, I should say, is functioning like it's supposed to and you haven't modified it or played with it, you can't drop it and make it go off because right. it, it physically can't. The, the, the striker does not have enough inertia in the position that it's in to be able to set off the primer. Right. What the Timony trigger does, and this is the unique thing about how the Timony trigger works, is it kind of preloads the striker. So uh -huh. it kind of changes it into a, it, it's, it's not exactly like a, like a, like a, like a sear, mm -hmm. but it kind of is. And it's very unique. And I take my hats off to the guys who developed that because that is a fantastic design that it came out with. Right. But it, yes, it does. Let, let's say for lack of a better, better word, molest the intent of the FCU on the Glock. Mm -hmm. Now how ours works Again, I can't hold it up here, and I really wish I could because I could actually point to how this whole thing works, right? <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> how ours works is we actually modified and manipulated the pivot geometry inside of the trigger. So it changes the kinematics of how the the cruciform or the – that's what we call it. That's our in-house uh, lingo for the back of the trigger bar, mm -hmm. um, how it interfaces with the striker. So when you're pulling back, the, the energy to actuate – is actually removed because of the way that the trigger bar reacts to the uh, the way that you're pulling back on the trigger for that felt take up. Um, so wow. it makes it one, it's Glock parts compatible. So you can take our trigger and you can put it on your OEM trigger bar. So that's the one right. thing that of course you can't do with a Timony. Um, and then of course um, it's gonna work in Gen 3, Gen 4, uh, we we have a Gen 5 that we are coming out with, and it's going to be a Gen 5 trigger, which is going to work with any Gen 5 uh, trigger bar. And then, of course, the uh, trigger bar assembly, right. which is, you know, your trigger housing and, and whatnot. Right. Um, but that, that's how ours works. And, and of course, we we redesign the uh, the way that it just looks. So it feels a little bit differently. Again, the take up is a little bit different where it actually breaks is a little bit different. So it actually will break at and what we've been able to measure under high-speed video is around um, 
89 and a half. It's very close to 90 degree break. So it breaks oh, wow. similar to a 1911. So where a 1911 will pull straight back. Straight back. Of course, yeah. we're working on a pivot, but right when it breaks, it hits about 90 degrees and then releases. So nice. um, it, where an OEM trigger will not do that. Um, and depending on which generation you buy, it's going to either break, uh, you know, uh, a little bit forward or a little bit backwards, just depending on, you know, if you have a, you know, modified right. connector or whatnot. So, right. But yeah, so. we definitely, um, we definitely came up with a pretty, a pretty slick trigger on that one. And it is actually 30% less energy to actuate from OEM with a peak force of three and a half pounds. You know, this is where folks talking with uh, talking with an engineer gets gets insane. Like I, I talked, we talked triggers many, many times before. We talked about the, we talked about the pull weight. We talked about the break, the pre-travel, the over-travel, the wall, the stop, the reset. But Matt's in here talking about the angle of the trigger break. <laughs> like I, yeah. I, I don't know that I've heard anybody ever talk about the angle of the trigger break before. So that, that's pretty, that's pretty amazing how your mind, you know. That's is, it, uh, it's in tune with that. I appreciate that. Um, let's get this one here. This is a weird one, Matt. I'm going to throw it up here. It was a question. Yep. I, I, I don't know. Uh, but Artex says, any plans for a 17 HMR for the Keltec PMR 30? And I'm guessing he's talking barrel. Um, I'm going to say no, because yeah. it's, it is not on my project board. It's not to say it's not to say that we wouldn't do that. Here's the thing. We actually cultivate all that data. Believe it or not, comments on our social media, following our social media, um, calling in uh, or, or, or leaving chats with customer service, all that data is cultivated. And we actually nice. use that for uh, for um, you know deciding which way we're gonna go on uh, excuse me, developing a new product or even considering developing a product. So like, for example, the 17HMR Caltech PMR 30. Um, if we started just getting flooded with uh, comments or, you know, suggestions, then we'd be like, okay, there actually might be something here and we need to explore right. this. Right. Um, for right. me personally, that that's the first of, uh, of me hearing about that. So oh, I'm wow. going to say probably probably yeah. no 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 not, i don't i don't mean the actual i don't mean the the, the platform i'm talking about the right. um no i mean yeah starting, yeah the starting idea. something like that yeah, yeah. that's not that's yeah. not on my project board so i don't think so and architect did confirm said yeah he's talk, talking about the barrel yeah. i would think there it would open up a uh it would open up a little bit of a hornet's nest would would be my thing yeah. I mean, like, uh, like i just know that when you're dealing with with 22 magnum and you're dealing with 17 hmr i know when you you start dealing with pressures and you start dealing with because the 17 hmr is neck down and then you know you're talking about feed issues and you know there's just some different things that can happen with that that could you guys make a barrel i mean you guys could absolutely crank out a barrel chambered for 17 hmr right like that's no problem but it's like you said you guys have to vet that to make sure then if you're selling that, somebody puts that barrel in, they don't have safety issues. They're not going to have reliability issues. Like everything is going to work, like, right? There's catastrophic failure. I mean, that's like yeah. literally the worst thing that can happen. We don't, we want people losing digits over, you know, our product line. So, yep. I mean, even if we did start that project, I mean, I couldn't even begin to say when we'd be able to have that ready for, uh, <laughs> ready for market. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, so I'm going to switch gears. I know you got to get out here pretty quick. No, fine. Uh, we're, yeah. So we're, we're going to, we're gonna to move to uh, we're gonna to move to our special segment real quick before we get out of here. Uh, brought to us by uh, Anderson Manufacturing. It's called On the Spot. So we're gonna put Matt on the spot. 
Um, speaking of Anderson Manufacturing, um, yeah, I've got the uh, PCC. He was talking about playing with the Monstrum LPBOs a little earlier. That's one of the ones that has it. Going to be playing with that. Uh, and, um, yeah, still waiting on the bolt actions from uh, Anderson. Those hopefully will be dropping uh, before too terribly long. Uh, and we've actually got a code, and I don't know how much you save, if you save. To be quite honest with you, it's fairly new. Uh, but if you do, go check out Anderson, uh, code CloverTac, and uh, you'll get something. I don't know, a free lunch maybe. I don't know what they're offering over there. But uh, anyway, go check them out. Uh, Matt, we're going to uh, gonna hit you with a couple of little things here. Answer these however you see fit. Caveat, caveat these questions however you want to caveat them. Uh, this is all just for fun. Uh, but we're going to start yep. out with uh, what was your first firearm? Cricket 22. Oh, wow. Okay. Navy Cricket. Yep. That's that was, uh, not, not one I've heard before. That's pretty awesome. I uh, got it when I was 10 years old. That's my dad gave it to me. Yep. Wow. Um, yep. First vehicle. 1987 Chevy S10. Okay. Solid. Okay. Yeah. It was solid is word to describe it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Oh, this is an option. I had an 85 or 86 at one time. Can't remember. Yep. Uh, Exactly. um, Very familiar with the body style. (laughs) And then a 60. Let's see. Then and then I got myself a 67 El Camino. um, Oh. Super sport. And, oh, yes. and it painted by Mako. Oh, really? Uh, oh, yeah. It was rusted all to hell. And then had it painted by Mako. And it had like, this beautiful, like, lime green, you know, bass flake. And it was so pretty. It lasted maybe three or four months until the rust started eating through the paint. And I was like, okay, right. it's got to go. But, yeah. Yeah. Right. Wow. Well, at least it was Mako. It was probably reasonable anyway, getting that done, it right? Was, it was a little too reasonable. Yeah. The quality was not there, but tell you what, you know, right. I was uh, 19 years old. So, you know, whatever. Yeah. Look good for a little while. Um, a little while. So uh, let's move into some favorites. Uh, we'll start out with uh, favorite cartridge historically now, whatever. Oh, uh, okay. So rifle, uh, seven MMO eight, uh, favorite. Oh. Yep. Uh, favorite pistol cartridge. Um, I'm going to be honest. Um, so I have two favorites as far as what I would – and we're talking about scenarios. Mm-hmm. Um, if I'm in the woods and I'm carrying an automatic pistol, I'm going to have a 10-millimeter or 3.7 SIG. Oh, yeah. My favorite And my favorite pistol or cartridge to shoot bar none just because it sounds super cool is 22 TCM. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yep, because it sounds like a laser gun and it's super cool. Yeah, this is true. Yeah, that, yeah. That's that's really about it. Yeah, it's just fun <laughs> to shoot, right? A um, little bit, a uh, little bit less on the firearms, but still uh, fun. Uh, favorite band or musician? Ooh, okay. So um, first, first, and I didn't actually start going to concerts until I was way into my late twenties, which is super sad. Oh, wow. But that's the way I grew up, so that's totally fine. So my first yeah. concert, um, I was 23 uh, years old and uh, saw A Day to Remember. And that is my favorite okay. band. Ever, ever since I saw A Day to Remember, uh, hands down, absolute favorite band. Because they are insanely good live. I mean, the best, 
I've seen so many concerts since then, and I can't, and I can't even describe how good they are live. So yeah, right. Yeah, that that is a big thing uh, for uh, for music for sure. Not every uh, artist or band can pull uh, off live. I could name some names right now, but I don't want to disparage anybody. So I'm <laughs> right. Yeah. Oh, that. there's there's plenty of them, and you know yeah. it has it it doesn't necessarily have a lot to do with the band, to be quite mm-hmm. honest, or the artist. A lot of time, it's the roadies and their gear and the folks that handle all of that. Um, um you, you set all that up. You set all that up wrong, and I mean, it can sound terrible. That's uh, unfortunately. Um, I, I'm not going to name the band because they're a fantastic band. I've seen them twice. Once it was great. It was a small venue, very close. Second time I saw them, I saw them at an arena, and it sounded right. like pots and pots and pans banging together. Uh, we actually right. left early because we were like, it doesn't even make any sense. I can't hear what they're playing. Right. Yeah. 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 Um. So, uh, favorite historical site or location? Uh, that I've been to, that I would like to go to, or Either way. just in general. Caveat it however you want. Give us both if you feel like. Honestly, um, so I would like to see. There's a couple things I'd like to see. I would like to see the pyramids one day. Oh yeah. Cool. Um, yeah. just just the the sheer you know nature of how the heck that was even happened. Right. Uh, I think Stonehenge would be amazing. Ah, okay. And and believe it or not, I have never seen the Grand Canyon. And we were actually just talking about that as a family this last week. And we want to make a trip to the Grand Canyon wow. this next year. I've, okay. I've never seen it. I've seen it. We've actually we've done uh, Yellowstone. We've done uh, you know up north. And we you know as a as a younger uh, as a younger man in my family, we um, hit a, a lot of national parks. But I think I think seeing the Grand Canyon, you know, at least once would be good. And it never right. had a chance to see it. So right. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's interesting you bring up Stonehenge. Uh, I had a, one of the guests, um, I don't know if it was last week or the week before, had just got back from a trip to Europe and was able to go to Stonehenge. So, <laughs> I bet I bet he was blown away by it. Yeah, well, she, but yeah. Oh, she, she. Yeah. I bet she was blown yeah. away by it, yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. She said it was a weird experience. Like, it was, it was really hard for her to explain. Like, not necessarily supernatural but almost like a supernatural style aura you yeah. know around the place or whatever and, and i can see that quite honestly um i think any megalith um to see would actually be extremely cool i just i just want to see something that doesn't make sense how it was made right for the, yeah for, for the of course for the for the time period for the era and but. especially with your engineering mind right i'm sure you're trying to figure that out going how did they how did they pull this off <laughs> It doesn't, honestly, a lot of it doesn't make any sense. I know people try to always go, aliens, that's right. But uh, right. So, yeah. um, I think it'd just be really, really cool. So I'm not saying it was aliens, but it was <laughs> yeah. aliens. Yeah, yeah, I'm not saying, but it was aliens, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that was on the spot by Edison Manufacturing. So thanks, uh, right thanks Matt, for, for playing along with that. Yeah, um, yeah let's, uh, let's close this out. So if, if folks want to... Follow along with uh, uh, LWA if they want to see everything that you guys have to offer, everything that's coming out that's new, everything you're working on. They want to make those suggestions, like the 17 HMR barrels for the Caltech, for example. Absolutely. Um, How do they do do all that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, If you guys want to hit us up on uh, Facebook or on Instagram, I think we are uh, Lone Wolf Arms on Facebook and on Instagram. Uh, I think it's Lone underscore Wolf on Instagram and then Lone Wolf Arms on 
um, on uh, Facebook. Uh, yeah, hit us up. Um, leave comments. I mean, seriously, guys, uh, there you'd be surprised how many manufacturers actually listen to listen to what the the, what the consumers have to say, and and they and we really do. Um, it doesn't go unnoticed. We review that stuff. We take that stuff in. Um, so yeah, please follow us, leave comments and then people upvote those comments. You know, if you leave a right. comment and like this, uh, you know, um, Artac, um, leave a comment like, Hey, any plans? And then y'all just come in there and just upvote that, you know, and then right. we'll look and be like, okay, let's take a look at this. We have a uh, hundred, 200, 500,000, whatever likes, Hey, thousand people want this. Right. Okay. Yeah. We should probably let's take a look. If a thousand people want this, let's, let's get this going. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. It, you know, we, we do send out surveys every once in a while. Um, if you follow us on our, if we, or if you subscribe to our newsletter, uh, we do weekly newsletters, we do monthly newsletters. Uh, we're constantly, you know, dropping deals. I don't know if you guys have seen our newest um, LR1C for the model 17. Um, I know we didn't really get to talk about that, but um, it's mm -hmm. our new, compensated upper it's integrally compensated and it kicks. but yeah yeah, yeah. That and it's actually something that uh that we didn't really get to get to which is totally fine but um yeah it's integrally compensated it's just the upper and i think that was almost 200 dollars off because we did wow. a, we did a overrun deal so yeah. um we wanted to just dump a little bit of inventory so people who went and saw that and got those they they got a pretty sweet deal on Smoking a deal. fan yeah fantastic complete upper it was it was low receiver ready right um well i mean there's always next time we'll, we can always have you back in and have you back on and you know talk about new things and things coming down the line speaking of uh i guess the future uh next shot uh, next stop for you guys uh shot show in january or do you yes, have sir. other shows and things before then uh, what I can tell you is that the next thing for us, um, we just did TriggerCon. Uh, for those of you that were there, went fantastic. Yep. Absolutely loved it. Um, um, you know, drop some, drop your patches. You know, on our social medias. You know, show us where you got them. You know, where you got them hanging. Right. And then, um, as uh, far as actual physical shows, yeah, it's going to be Shot Show. We'll have Shot all show. of our new product right. there. Of course, we're going to have the Dust 19, the uh, LR01C. Um, a new project that we're working on right now that I can't talk about, but um, awesome. uh, that's going to be there as well. Sure. Got to have those, um, got to have those surprises for SHOT Show. Yeah. Always and then, have uh, PWS is going to have some, some pretty big things there too. And I, I know we're not talking about PWS right now, but uh, um, yeah, we're, we're, I'm here. I see what we're working on and I'm telling <laughs> you guys, it is so dang cool. Oh my goodness. Uh, yeah. We have some really cool stuff coming. Right. Uh, well, Matt, thanks for, uh, thanks for joining us. I know you got to get out here. So yeah, you're welcome back. Uh, new product launches, whatever. Uh, goes on let me know we'll get you back in on a uh, another episode on another season uh really enjoyed the conversation no that was awesome chris i really appreciate it and uh yeah i'm willing to do this anytime you want so thank you sounds good uh let's uh yeah let's close things out thanks for uh, everybody out there to everybody that that put the comments we had our tech we had a bunch of other people a lot of folks listening a lot of folks joining in uh big shout out and thanks obviously to monster tactics we're going to play with some of that right now and anderson manufacturing going to go play with some of that right now too uh, and i suggest that uh yeah you look into those things and and uh get out and uh, enjoy them yourself i'm trying to think who do we have tomorrow on the uh podcast somebody out there is going to remind me probably in the live chat 
Uh, but uh, gonna go check it out. Oh, one shot TV. We got Jesse with one shot TV in the house tomorrow. So join us. I think that's around one or so uh, Eastern Standard Time for the uh, podcast being recorded on Thursday. So uh, that's gonna do it on this episode. Uh, until next time, of course, do not forget to chain fire freedom. Bye. We appreciate the Patreon patrons and YouTube channel members who keep these podcasts going. If you're looking for cool stickers, patches, and other gear, be sure to check out Clovertack.com. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Clovertack Podcast. <laughs>